Good morning, everyone. Again, let me add my welcome to you to Oak Crest. I know uh, today is a day when a lot of people are out and about traveling, and there may be some folks with us this morning that are visiting family or friends or just happen to be here in uh, Oklahoma City. And now the microphone is on. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me add my words of welcome to you. Where was I? Oh, that's right. A lot of people are out and about and might be traveling. You might be visiting with us here at Oak Crest this morning. We're glad you're here. I, I'm uh, the preaching minister here at Oak Crest. However, I am not uh, preaching this morning. I'll resume preaching next week. In fact, next week, I want to tell you about the worst person you will ever meet at the airport next week. But I'm here this morning to introduce my longtime friend, Lanny Tucker. This has been a magnificent missions month here at Oak Crest. We've had several Sundays when we focused on spreading the gospel to all parts of the globe. And we end that time with Lanny's message to us this morning. I've known Lanny for over 20 years. He and I actually worked together at uh, Cascade College in Portland, Oregon. Uh, though a California native, Lanny grew up in the Portland area. In fact, he and Christy Ann Anderson's husband, Stephen, were connected. I think they played basketball together in high school. And uh, Lanny tells me he was better than Stephen. Stephen tells me he was better than Lanny. Don't know how that works. But Lanny most recently has been serving with Eastern European Missions, which as you know is a magnificent organization that wants to give Bibles to folks in Eastern Europe and elsewhere that don't have access to Bibles. And they've done a really neat work uh, for many, many years there. Lanny has been a church planter in inner city Portland. He's worked with nonprofit organizations. He has done a lot of things in God's kingdom, and we are blessed to have him here today to continue on a tradition that actually you see over and over again in Acts and in Paul's letters, which is where someone comes and shares with other Christians what God is doing across the globe to advance his kingdom. And so it's my pleasure to pray over and then introduce to you from Eastern European Missions, Lanny Tucker. Lanny, if you don't mind, come on up here and try not to look so tall. Thank you. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I have known this man a long time, and I know his heart. And it is an honor for us today to hear what you are doing through him and through so many others with Eastern European missions. We pray this morning that we would be encouraged by his words, that we would be inspired by the work that you are doing through your many servants in that part of the kingdom. We pray a blessing upon him. pray a blessing upon our ears this morning as we hear his message. May it move our hearts. May it affirm the wonders and the beauty of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Brian. That was a kind introduction, and having known me for 20 years, you could have said a lot of things, and so that was nice that you chose to share those things. Uh, before you get too comfortable, if you're in a spot where you can, stand up. I'm going to give you just about 30 seconds, or maybe you can just turn around if you've got someone close to you. Greet them. And ask them a question and let them ask you the same question. What's the brightest light you have ever seen other than the sun itself? Okay, ready? Go. You got 30 seconds.
All right. Can always tell how much a church actually likes each other by how hard it is to reel you back in after that. And I heard heard a lot of good uh, buzz across the pews here this morning. Uh, Brian completely made that story up about basketball, although Stephen and I both do enjoy basketball. Uh, Stephen played in college. I did not. But I would be willing to play him one-on-one. So I'll just put that out there. I think he's watching online this morning. Do I look at this camera? Where do I look? Uh, it It is good to have some people that I've known for a long time, even in this church. And I've been looking forward to at least being with you in the same room doing, if we could only do one thing, this would be the right thing to do. Communion together, worshiping God together. Um, handshakes and hugs that I've already received in the foyer just as a visitor. Um, so I just, I commend you as a congregation and as a visitor from the outside. I feel the love of Christ here already in just the few minutes that I've been here this morning. So thank you for welcoming me. I want to share for just a few minutes before we get into John chapter 1. And thank you for the reading of that scripture, the young man that did that moment ago. Uh, So open up your Bibles if you'd like to. Uh, John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 in a moment. But while you're getting to that passage, some of you may not even have a clue what EEM is. Eastern European Mission. Uh, We began in 1961. Uh, Seven young married couples from Abilene Christian College at that time, not yet a university, And Otis Gatewood, anyone heard of or ever hear Otis Gatewood speak? I've yet to be in in an audience where someone has not heard of or been impacted by Otis Gatewood. Well, these, these seven young couples moved to Vienna, Austria, partly because Otis challenged them to do that. And ultimately because God called them, they believed, to do that. And as they got there, they realized, you know, we can smuggle Bibles into communist Russia. They were just outside the wall of communist Russia where 70 plus years uh, the attempt to force atheism on an entire region of the world and in many ways successfully did so. But they realized we can get Bibles in and there are people willing to risk their lives, willing to risk their safety to take some of these Bibles for themselves or to pass them on to other people as well. And so for years from 61 to 1989, when communism ended and the wall came down, they printed, and the most common uh, printed Bible was actually a Russian New Testament about this large, about the same size as a pack of cigarettes. So what did they call it? The Marlboro Bible. <laughs> Bet you've never heard of that before. But they say a good smug. 150 of these under a trench coat somehow you probably triple your weight but but if you only had one or two and were at a checkpoint and they patted you down or something and didn't force you to pull it out they might just think it was a pack of cigarettes so it's even a part of the covert smuggling to choose the size of those bibles that were printed well when communism officially ended although the residue these people would tell us still strongly exists today, we were able to really, really grow as a ministry. And now we freely and without many covert operations at all can 
give Bibles freely and Bible-based materials in over 30 different countries, some Mediterranean, mostly Eastern and Central European countries. And we print these Bibles in 27 different languages. Our mission has never changed. The Bible, we want everyone to get it. Some 370 plus million people live in the countries that we serve. Our country has about 330 million. So it gives you a sense of the scope of humanity that we are seeking to serve and that we pray for every day. Last year, 2021, in the midst of the pandemic, second year and everything else going on, God gave us and did his best work ever, at least through EEM. 1.53 million people received our Bibles and books more than any previous year in the six decades that we have been honored to serve this part of the world. Through September of this year, so first three quarters of this year, we were able to, by God's power, provide 10,000 more Bibles than all of last year. So you might say every single Bible that is given out between now and the end of the year is setting a record in terms of the number of people receiving God's word in their own language. But more even compelling to us than how many are getting it, how many are asking for Bibles? And in that part of the world, you can see the orange bar here, I think it is on the screen. Over 3 million people are on a wait list right now, have already asked for Bibles. So this is a good problem, right? If we run out of, of space in the pews this morning, we'll be happy to get up off of our pew and offer it to someone else, right? It's a problem, but a one that we would welcome and embrace. We have had to find ways this year to say, no, not yet. But we're in the business of giving you a Bible, so we'll get one to you as soon as we can. So pray for this ministry. If nothing else, please pray. But this year has been a very difficult, maybe the most difficult, and certainly an unusual year for our ministry. Since February 24th, when this Ukraine war began and Russia invaded that country of 45 million people, just four days into that war, we decided we can be good stewards, not only of distributing Bibles, as we always have, but also in distributing money for humanitarian aid. And so we began accepting funds designated for food, for clothing, for housing, for evacuation assistance, and all of the endless list of the needs of 15 million plus people displaced because of a war. Over 15 million Ukrainians have now been displaced from their homes. I just saw a statistic that is even more uh, accurate than my slide now. Over 10 million have become refugees of these 15 million that have been displaced from their homes, meaning that they have had to leave or chosen to leave the country. Where have they gone? You can see by the arrows on this slide, most, the, the largest percentage of them have chosen Poland, but others have gone to Romania, to Hungary, to Moldova, to Slovakia. 
I hear people even in Dallas-Fort Worth where I live. I'm sure there are some right here in Oklahoma City. All of the arrows of where Ukrainian refugees have landed in this world is really an unknown. Our own Ukrainian staff members, who we have a picture of here, have become refugees themselves this year as well. Thankfully, all five of our Ukrainian women who are on our staff are safe and have been able to get to Vienna, Austria, and are now actually working together. You see Zhenya, who I think will have a yeah, yellow circle around here. Zhenya received this little short video a few weeks after she left her apartment building in Kyiv. So go ahead and play that video if you would. This was the day that her apartment was bombed and she simply said, I had friends that died today. My dad nearly got drafted for Vietnam, but didn't. My grandfather served in the Korean War, but, but as an aviation engineer, I don't really have any firsthand stories or even really any close secondhand stories of what war really is like. So I have felt a different set of emotions this year. Not that I'm to be pitied, but as I think about our own staff on the other side of the world and literally millions of others displaced and all of the others. At the same time, and I don't know if we have this picture of our staff again, but if you can go back to that picture of our staff, you could see a picture of Oleg in the upper right. Oleg is one of our Russian employees. Put yourself in Oleg's shoes. How would you feel this year? I know Oleg doesn't want any part of this war either. And I would imagine he would say it's been the worst year for him as well. So we've been blessed this year to give people Bibles while they are in bomb shelters below the ground. Uh, this picture here, I think we have next, he has just some of the many Bibles that went out, even from our warehouse in Kiev, Ukraine. We had 120,000 Bibles still in our sort of reduced stock, which we had seen a war was likely coming, and so we reduced it. And yet those Bibles all still made it out. Men uh, stayed, distributed these, become chaplains to soldiers on the front lines. Um, it's been a difficult year. But it's been a year also of opportunities. And when things get more difficult, God seems to do even more powerful things. Or perhaps our eyes are just more open to what he is powerfully doing. But it's been a year to bless both the body and the soul of so many people who are truly desperate for hope. And so we're in the midst of a project right now, not so much focused on humanitarian aid, although the needs of that certainly continue. But our Million Dollar Sunday project this year is focused specifically on hope. And we aim to raise three and a half million dollars so that 700,000 people, many of them Ukrainian refugees, but others across 20 plus other countries as well, so that they will receive a Bible in their own language. I don't know about you and your household, but 
When I first started at EEM 10 years ago, we just did a Bible hunt in our house to see how many Bibles do we have. I found Bibles I'd forgotten about. We found 24 different Bibles. Chronological Bible and Daily Walk Bible and the Bible I would read to my three daughters in the evening when they'd go to sleep. I had to tell my girls I did have to take Hebrew and Greek in seminary, so we've actually got one more Bible that you might even recognize as a Bible, and it's not in a language you could even read. We had 25 Bibles in our house. Most of these millions of people each year that we are providing a Bible for have never owned one, and certainly not one in their own language. So thank you for what your church has done. Over the years, you all have given over $38,000, most of those for Bibles. This year, part of that $38,000, this year $10,000 was given back in the spring to help Ukrainian refugees. I know you're not giving to be thanked, but I'm about the only one who is going to be here to thank you. And, and I know that God has used your generosity and your prayers to bless many, many people this year, both their bodies and their souls. So thank you for allowing me to come and at least share a bit of an update. I do hope that my presence here today, if nothing else, will inspire you to pray even more and to pray not only for Ukraine, but also for Russia. So many people there don't want this war but regardless, we are just praying as Jesus prayed that God's will will be done in Russia, in Ukraine, as it is in heaven. And that this war would end even today. This year, I've had a number of prayer guides, 2,000 of them actually, and all of them have already gone out this year. But we have this same prayer guide online. And if you would like to go online and go deeper into prayer specifically for this ministry and for this part of the world in Eastern Europe, uh, you can go to the web address that you see on the screen here, eem.org. And if you click just on impact, you'll see without too much digging, you will see um, our 30-day prayer guide. You can download that, share it with family, with friends, and pray through it yourself. EEM.org. All right, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I don't know about you, but I am captivated each time I see a lighthouse, whether it's a little figurine in a gift shop or on a calendar, or certainly if I see one in person, Growing up in Portland, Oregon, I was probably within a three, four hour drive of at least a half a dozen gorgeous lighthouses, most of them all still in working order along the coast of the Pacific. Cape Blanco Lighthouse in this picture is my favorite because this is where I proposed to my wife. Or I should say this is where she said yes. 
My three daughters had heard us tell the story of how I had asked her to marry me. And so we took them to this place for them to see it for the first time just a few years ago and took these couple of pictures. It was a much more beautiful day when we went with our daughters than the, the very typical um, overcast uh, sort of Oregon day when I asked her to marry me. But beyond my own engagement and just the sheer beauty of lighthouses, I think they're really meaningful to us in two big ways. First of all, practically speaking, lighthouses save people's lives. Even in this time and age of, of advancement and technology and GPS and satellites and global positioning, everything, sailors, all, all these large and small vessels that are on the water, they want lighthouses to stay if you talk to any of them, because they want to have a fixed point of light on the shores. They save people's lives. But number two, and even more powerful to me and perhaps to you, kind of like our communion thought and the Eagles song, it sends us to think about things beyond just our existence here and into the eternal. Spiritually speaking, the shaft of light that a lighthouse beams out in all directions is a powerful reminder of Christ, the light of the world. And because just before he ascended back into heaven, he said that we now have this commission. He didn't say that day, you are the light of the world, like he did in his sermon on the Mount earlier. But in effect, he handed us this baton and said, this job is yours now. I've been the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So a lighthouse, I think, beautifully shows us our purpose and calling as disciples of Jesus. You may be raising money for mission funds, but too often we think of ourselves somehow as consumers. We're really called to be ourselves missionaries right where we are as well as those that we may be praying for and supporting in other countries, other parts of this country as well. So we've been transferred from a dark and doomed kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This doomed kingdom that, that we've, by God's grace and power, been able to be transferred from, we are now in this kingdom of his dear son, this kingdom of light. And we don't just have the purpose of enjoying this kingdom, but in sharing it with others, we fulfill our ultimate purpose of giving God glory and sharing this opportunity with others so that all may be rescued, so that all may be transferred from darkness to light. In John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 14, he says at one point, you are the light of the world. 
John chapter 3, verse 19 is a disturbing verse about light. It says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. There's a research group in Nashville called Lifeway Research, and they've interviewed many Americans, regardless of their faith background or atheist, whatever they may be, just a cross-section of America. And they've interviewed them about their reading habits with the Bible. They found that, quote, more than half of Americans have read little or none of the Bible. Now, this was a survey representing all Americans, but then they went to those who would identify themselves as church-going Christians. People at least going to church three times a month was kind of their standard for this research. And surprisingly, even this group, a full 40% of this church-going group, said that they read the Bible once a week or less, and 12% of these church-going Americans said that they rarely or never read the Bible. Two quotes stood out to me. One, overall, Americans seem to like the Bible, but don't have that much urgency about reading it. And then second quote, Americans are fond of the Bible, but don't actually read it. You may have questions going through your mind in a lot of directions as you hear just this research about about our own country and about people who we would identify ourselves as at least a subset of. One question that comes to my mind is, how can someone boldly share the light of Christ if they're not even spending time in God's word, the source of that light? Kind of like when my daughter came to me, first time a flashlight didn't work for her and she was too young to realize it just needed batteries. She said, do we throw it away? No, no, we'll get batteries. Taught her what to do when the flashlight needs new batteries. We need to be recharged. Otherwise, we're, we're like a useless, maybe beautiful, but useless lighthouse that's no longer shining its light and fulfilling its purpose. So Christ died not only for us to be saved, but also for us to be the light in this dark world, sharing the good news with everyone, everywhere. So as we ask the the question this morning, what was it like to be the light for Jesus? And then ultimately, now that we have this baton in our hands, what does being the light look like for us right now? First of all, for Christ, if you think about the incarnation, Christ leaving heaven, coming down into, as John 1 tells us, into the three dimensions and the place that he himself created. I mean, it's already kind of beyond even our imaginations of how that's possible, right? But it had to be the single most humbling journey that anyone has ever made. If you were to grow up in a grand castle like this one on the screen, if you were to have a stable family and 
and have your parents, your grandparents, and loving siblings, if you had all the education, the food, and clothing, everything that you would need, but then you chose to move to the slums of Calcutta, that journey from that castle to the slums would be like nothing compared to Jesus leaving the grandeur of heaven and coming down into literally a horse trough in Bethlehem. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, says, His state was divine, and yet he did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself to assume the condition of a slave, and became as we are. And being as we are, he was humbler yet, even to accepting death, death on a cross. See, we have plenty of evidence that as soon as Jesus made that trip from heaven down into the earth, Satan and all of his demons had one single focus, snuffing out the light of the world. Matthew 2, 16 says, King Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, who were two years old and under. Can you imagine legislation passing that Oklahoma City just kill all of the males under the age of two? Unthinkable. That's what happened. That was just the start of Satan's efforts to snuff out the light. Fast forward some 30 plus years, Christ finally does die. Of course, after King Herod sent that edict out to kill all of these babies, they themselves became refugees and were safe, made it, to, in their case, to Egypt. But here at the end of his life, when he's in his early 30s, Jesus does die. He's killed by his own Jewish people. And when Jesus was killed on that cross, it was obvious from any human standpoint that darkness had won. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that some thought, that many thought would be the one to overcome, to put Romans down, no more oppression. He was dead. And two days of darkness and a sealed, guarded tomb proved it. We stand on this side of history. We know that a third day came, but sometimes we don't sit long enough in those first two days to feel how others felt before the resurrection. But we know in Scripture it says, early on Sunday morning, this third day, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. If you haven't read that story recently, or maybe you haven't read it at all, go to one of the Gospels and read the story of Jesus being brought back to life. Going back to Philippians 2 again, it says, But God raised him high and gave him the name, which is above all other names, so that all beings in the heavens, on earth, 
and in the underworld should bend the knee at the name of Jesus. And that every tongue should acclaim Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, a few days after his resurrection, as Jesus left the earth and ascended into heaven then, he told what was at that time his 11 apostles and essentially told us and all Christians following that day. He said to go and be the light to everyone, everywhere. Matthew 28, 18 and following says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those apostles took that baton. Most of them are believed to have died because of their faith. That baton is passed to us. The Holy Spirit is given to us. Again, as we talked about in communion, we are the light of the world. So what does being the light look like for you, for you, for you, for me? Maybe it's like Anton. You see, Anton here lives in an apartment with his mom. He lives in Novosibirsk, Russia. And his mom took this picture and said, Anton is so excited to share his faith through these Bible activity books and these children's Bibles that you sent us. Thank you for sending them because Anton is excited to share about Jesus with his friends who come over regularly and study the Bible together. This is what being the light looks like for Anton. What does being the light look like for you? Maybe it's like Nadia, our leader's Several years ago at EEM, got to meet Nadia and her husband, Vladimir. They live in a suburb of Moscow, Russia. Nadia is an architect by training and by education and was working as the city architect, the highest position in the Moscow suburb of Zukovsky. And as the city architect, she held a prestigious and well-paying job. But one Sunday, as Nadia and Vladimir went to church, it was announced by their church leaders that they would be starting a ministry for abused women. And they were looking for someone to run this ministry. They announced that the name of the ministry was the House of Hope. I'm not sure if you'll believe it, but when I first heard this, I didn't. Nadia means hope place was named the House of Nadia. So you can imagine the conversation in the car driving home from church when Nadia says, Vladimir, I want to tell you something. He said, yes, I know. She said, I want to be the director of that new ministry serving abused women and their children. He said, well, it's the House of Nadia. 
It showed the faith of Nadia, but it also showed the faith of Vladimir because her job as the city architect paid about four times as much as his job. She said, what do you think? This is going to change our income, change our lives. He said, I think you should do it. So she became the director of that place. She actually got cancer shortly after beginning that. She's now in remission, but her life has been aflame for the Lord. This is what being the light looks like for her. Nadia and the House of Hope are now protecting and serving abused women and children, often placing them in protective, secretive housing. They provide clothes, food, Bibles, spiritual healing, teaching, and community for these women and their children just outside Moscow. What does being the light look like for you? I have a coworker named Demetrius in Athens, Greece. And several years ago, he said this. It still sticks with me today. He says, you know, day by day, when we read the Bible, we change. And we know it's not something that we're doing in our lives. But when we spend time in the word of God, God, his spirit changes us. Amen. Time spent in the Lord's presence is a key to our effectiveness as light in this world. Now, you may hear Nadia's story and be tempted like I was to say, I can't do that. Never say never. Be careful what you tell God you can't do, right? But what about Anton? The joy of a little boy inviting his friends to his apartment and simply reading about Jesus. If Anton can do that, it's a good reminder that we have no excuses and we have every reason in our amazing friendship with the king of the universe, the creator of all that we see and beyond, to serve him with all of our hearts. John chapter 18, the setting most of you would know, Jesus is about to be arrested by Jewish and Roman guards, led by one of his own, Judas Iscariot, the one who we know as the betrayer. And in John chapter 18, verse 4, it says, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. And so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. And once more, Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, although maybe with a different tone of voice, none of us was there, but they're all on their backsides at this point. And they say, Jesus the Nazarene, I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one that you want, let these others go. 
Jesus knew exactly what was happening to him. And at that moment of incredible darkness in his life and for all human history, he didn't run away. He didn't shrink back in the slightest. He actually did the opposite. It says he stepped forward. And when the light of the world stepped forward into the darkness of that moment, everyone in darkness fell to the ground. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, Anton and Nadia are inspirational stories. And yet there's something far more powerful that God gives us this morning to inspire us to serve him and be the light in the world. And that is the Holy Spirit. That same spirit that filled Jesus at that dark moment in the garden, the same spirit that earlier in the garden before arrest led Jesus to say, Father, not my will but yours be done. The same Holy Spirit that put breath back into the physical lungs of Jesus when the tomb was still sealed. This is the Spirit of God living inside of you and inside of me. What does this mean for you and me being light in the world? I can't answer that, but if we ask God, Undoubtedly, he will make it more clear to us. And at the very least, the common thread to that question and the answer for all of us is that we must be bold, knowing that God himself is alive in us. This isn't about us. Do you make it about yourself like I often do about myself? This is about the Lord. He is the light of the world. We get to be a vessel of the good news. But it's his power, not our own. We just happen to embody that with the spirit living inside of us. So we have an incredible privilege, but also a responsibility to be the light, to share the good news with everyone that God gives us the privilege of knowing while we are still here. And that's whether it's in your own neighborhood here in Oklahoma City or wherever you live, or sharing it with other people on the other side of the world. So let us at least never forget John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Matthew 5, 16. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And Matthew 5, 14 again. You are the light of the world. Would you bow and pray with me? Lord, we pray that you will increasingly make Oak Crest a community that beams your light to all the world. Help all of us, Lord, as spirit-filled followers of yours to spend time with you in your word. Let it strengthen us and change us and lead us back out to share the good news with others. Lord, and as we shine your light in the world, may those that are hungry for love, 
for healing, for righteousness, for forgiveness, and for joy. May they not fall back, but lean forward to embrace the light of the world. That is you, Jesus the Christ. Give us your boldness and thank you for your spirit living in us. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We extend an invitation to everyone this morning. If you wish to give your life to Christ, to have your sins washed away, to be filled with this Holy Spirit that we have spent time talking about, thinking about, and that empowers us as followers of Jesus, you can do that this morning. If you have something that you would like the prayers um, of this entire church and, and for God's power to be unleashed in some particular area of your life or someone else's life, uh, whatever your need is, you are welcome to come as we stand now and worship. <laughs>